Section 5 of Waverley, Volume 2. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information, or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Ted Garvin. Waverley, or Tis Sixty Years Since, Volume 2, by Sir Walter Scott. Chapter 40. An Old and a New Acquaintance. While he was deep sunk in his reverie, the rustle of tartans was heard behind him. A friendly arm clasped his shoulders, and a friendly voice exclaimed, Said the Highland prophet sooth, or must second sight go for nothing? Waverley turned, and was warmly embraced by Fergus MacIvor. A thousand welcomes to Holyrood, once more possessed by her legitimate sovereign. Did I not say we should prosper, and that you would fall into the hands of the Philistines if you parted from us? Dear Fergus, said Waverley, eagerly returning his greeting, it is long since I have heard a friend's voice. Where is Flora? Safe, and a triumphant spectator of our success. In this place, said Waverley. I, in this city at least, answered his friend, and you shall see her. But first you must meet a friend whom you little think of, and who has been frequent in his inquiries after you. Thus saying, he dragged Waverley by the arm out of the guard chamber, and ere he knew where he was conducted, Edward found himself in a presence room fitted up with some attempt at royal state. A young man, wearing his own fair hair, distinguished by the dignity of his mien and the noble expression of his well-formed and regular features, advanced out of a circle of military gentlemen and highland chiefs by whom he was surrounded. In his easy and graceful manners, Waverley afterwards thought he could have discovered his high birth and rank, although the star on his breast and the embroidered garter at his knee had not appeared as its indications. Let me present to your royal highness, said Fergus, bowing profoundly. The descendant of one of the most ancient and loyal families in England, said the young chevalier, interrupting him. I beg your pardon for interrupting you, my dear MacIver, but no master of ceremonies is necessary to present a Waverley to a Stuart. Thus saying, he extended his hand to Edward with the utmost courtesy, who could not, had he desired it, have avoided rendering him the homage which seemed due his rank, and was certainly the right of his birth. I am sorry to understand, Mr. Waverley, that, owing to circumstances which have been as yet but ill-explained, you have suffered some restraint among my followers in Perthshire, and on your march here. But we are in such a situation that we hardly know our friends, and I am even at this moment uncertain whether I can have the pleasure of considering Mr. Waverley as among mine. He then paused for an instant, but before Edward could adjust a suitable reply, or even arrange his ideas as to his purport, the prince took out a paper, and then proceeded. I should indeed have no doubts upon this subject if I could trust to this proclamation, set forth by the friends of the Elector of Hanover, in which they rank Mr. Waverley among the nobility and gentry who are menaced with the pains of high treason for loyalty to their legitimate sovereign. But I desire to gain no adherence save from affection and conviction, and if Mr. Waverley inclines to prosecute his journey to the south, or to join the forces of the Elector, he shall have my passport and free permission to do so, and I can only regret that my present power will not extend to protect him against the probable consequences of such a measure. But, continued Charles Edward, after another short pause, if Mr. Waverley should, like his ancestor, Sir Nigel, determine to embrace a cause which has little to recommend it but its justice, and follow a prince who throws himself upon the affections of his people to recover the throne of his ancestors, or perish in the attempt, 
I can only say that among these nobles and gentlemen he will find worthy associates in a gallant enterprise, and will follow a master who may be unfortunate, but I trust will never be ungrateful. The politic chieftain of the race of Ivor knew his advantage in introducing Waverley to this personal interview with the royal adventurer. Unaccustomed to the address and manners of a polished court, in which Charles was eminently skilful, his words and his kindness penetrated the heart of our hero, and easily outweighed all prudential motives. To be thus personally solicited for assistance by a prince whose form and manners, as well as the spirit which he displayed in this singular enterprise, answered his ideas of a hero of romance, and to be courted by him in the ancient halls of his paternal palace, recovered by the sword which he was already bending toward his other conquests, gave Edward, in his own eyes, the dignity and importance which he had ceased to consider as his attributes. Rejected, slandered, and threatened upon the one side, he was irresistibly attracted to the cause which the prejudices of education and the political principles of his family had already recommended as the most just. These thoughts rushed through his mind like a torrent, sweeping before them every consideration of an opposite tendency. The time, besides, admitted of no deliberation, and Waverley, kneeling to Charles Edward, devoted his heart and sword to the vindication of his rights. The prince, for although unfortunate in the faults and follies of his forefathers, we shall here and elsewhere give him the title due his birth, raised Waverley from the ground, and embraced him with an expression of thanks too warm not to be genuine. He also thanked Fergus MacIver repeatedly for having brought him such an adherent, and presented Waverley to the various noblemen, chieftains, and officers who were about his person as a young gentleman of the highest hopes and prospects, in whose bold and enthusiastic avowal of his cause they might see an evidence of the sentiments of the English families of rank at this important crisis. Indeed, this was a point much doubted among the adherents of the House of Stuart, and as a well-founded disbelief in the cooperation of the English Jacobites kept many Scottish men of rank from his standard, and diminished the courage of those who had joined it, nothing could be more seasonable for the Chevalier than the open declaration in his favor of the representative of the House of Waverley Honor, so long known as Cavaliers and Royalists. This Fergus had foreseen from the beginning. He really loved Waverley, because their feelings and projects never thwarted each other. He hoped to see him united with Flora, and he rejoiced that they were effectively engaged in the same cause. But as we before hinted, he also exulted as a politician in beholding secured to his party a partisan of such consequence, and he was far from being insensible to the personal importance which he himself gained with the prince from having so materially assisted in making the acquisition. Charles Edward, on his part, seemed eager to show his attendants the value which he attached to his new adherent, by entering immediately, as in confidence, upon the circumstances of his situation. You have been secluded so much from intelligence, Mr. Waverley, from causes of which I am but indistinctly informed, that I presume you are even yet unacquainted with the important particulars of my present situation. You have, however, heard of my landing in the remote district of Moidart, with only seven attendants, and of the numerous chiefs and clans whose loyal enthusiasm at once placed a solitary adventurer at the head of a gallant army. You must also, I think, have learned that the commander-in-chief of the Hanoverian elector, Sir John Cope, marched into the highlands at the head of a numerous and well-appointed military force with the intention of giving us battle, but that his courage failed him when we were within three hours' march of each other, so that he fairly gave us the slip and marched northward to Aberdeen, leaving the low country open and undefended. 
not to lose so favorable an opportunity i marched on to this metropolis driving before me two regiments of horse gardeners and hamiltons who had threatened to cut to pieces every highlander that should venture to pass Stirling, and while discussions were carrying forward among the magistracy and citizens of edinburgh whether they should defend themselves or surrender my good friend lochiel laying his hand on the shoulder of that gallant and accomplished chieftain saved them the trouble of farther deliberation by entering the gates with five hundred camerons thus far therefore we have done well but in the meanwhile this doughty general's nerves be embraced by the keen air of aberdeen he has taken shipping for dunbar and i have just received certain information that he landed there yesterday his purpose must unquestionably be to march towards us to recover possession of the capital now there are two opinions in my council of war one that being inferior probably in numbers and certainly in discipline and military appointments not to mention our total want of artillery and the weakness of our cavalry it will be safest to fall back towards the mountains and there protract the war until fresh succors arrive from france and the whole body of the highland clans shall have taken arms in our favor the opposite opinion maintains that a retrograde movement in our circumstances is certain to throw utter discredit on our arms and undertaking and far from gaining us new partisans will be the means of disheartening those who have joined our standard the officers who use these last arguments among whom is your friend fergus MacIver, maintain that if the highlanders are stranger to the usual military discipline of europe the soldiers whom they are to encounter are no less strangers to their peculiar and formidable mode of attack that the attachment and courage of the chiefs and gentlemen are not to be doubted and that as they will be in the midst of the enemy their clansmen will as surely follow them in fine that having drawn the sword we should throw away the scabbard and trust our cause to battle and to the god of battles will mr waverley favour us with his opinion in these arduous circumstances waverley covered high betwixt pleasure and modesty at the distinction implied in this question and answered with equal spirit and readiness that he could not venture to offer an opinion as derived from military skill but that the council would be far the most acceptable to him which should first afford him an opportunity to evince his zeal in his royal highness's service spoken like a waverley answered charles edward and that you may hold a rank in some degree corresponding to your name allow me instead of the captain's commission which you have lost to offer you the brevet rank of major in my service with the advantage of acting as one of my aides-de-camp until you can be attached to a regiment of which i hope several will be speedily embodied your royal highness will forgive me answered waverley for his recollection turned to balmawapo and his scanty troop if i decline accepting any rank until the time and place where i may have interest enough to raise a sufficient body of men to make my command useful to your royal highness's service in the meanwhile i hope for your permission to serve as a volunteer under my friend fergus MacIver. at least said the prince who was obviously pleased with this proposal allow me the pleasure of arming you after the highland fashion with these words he unbuckled the broadsword which he wore the belt of which was plated with silver and the steel basket hilt richly and curiously inlaid the blade said the prince is a genuine andrea ferrara it has been a sort of heirloom in our family but i am convinced i put it into better hands than my own and will add to it pistols of the same workmanship colonel MacIver, you must have much to say to your friend i will detain you no longer from your private conversation but remember we expect you both to attend us in the evening it may be perhaps the last night we may enjoy in these halls and as we go to the field with a clear conscience we will spend the eve of battle merrily thus licensed the chief and waverley left the presence chamber 
End of chapter 40